June 19th is going to be remembered as a historic date in the history of Latin America because it is today, June 19th, when for the first time a left-wing candidate won a presidential election in Colombia. Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez famously referred to Colombia as the Israel of Latin America. It has always been governed by the right wing. It has always been one of the closest allies of the United States around the world and really a colonial outpost for the United States in Latin America. And today, June 19th, in the second round of the presidential election, left-wing candidate Gustavo Petro won. Petro is a former guerrilla. He fought in a, an armed socialist organization called M19, and he later put down his arms and he became a politician. He moderated his politics. He's kind of a center-left progressive. But in the context of Colombia, no one like him has ever come close to being president. The presidency has been dominated for decades by far-right oligarchs. Petro won against a right-wing candidate, a far-right candidate named Rolf Hernandez. And Hernandez is a 100 millionaire real estate mogul. So the difference was, was very stark. Now, I don't want to be too optimistic in my analysis in this video. I'll be, as I will make clear later on in this video, Petro has a lot of obstacles and it's going to be very difficult for him to govern. First of all, Colombia is not a democracy. It is a very authoritarian regime in which every single year, hundreds of social movement activists are killed. Every single year, there are dozens of massacres. In 2021, there were more than 90 massacres in which hundreds of social activists were killed. So the possibility of Petro being killed is, is not low. I mean, it's, it's, his security is going to be uh, very much in danger. Furthermore, the right-wing oligarchy, which is very powerful and very wealthy in Colombia, is not going to let him govern. And then, of course, there's U.S. meddling. The U.S. has, has meddled against progressive left-wing leaders across Latin America for many decades, overthrowing many. And then finally, there is the role of paramilitary groups. These paramilitary groups in Colombia that are responsible for killing hundreds of activists every year are closely linked to the right-wing oligarchy and they are going to threaten Petro. And then finally, there's the military itself. The top general who runs the Colombian military, Eduardo Zapatero, he actually threatened Gustavo Petro. He violated Colombian law, violated the Colombian constitution, which says that the military cannot meddle in politics. And the top general who leads the Colombian military, Zapatero, he threatened Petro on Twitter. He attacked Petro publicly. So we know that the military is against him and he doesn't have a majority in Congress. So he did win the election, but Petro does not have a majority in either the Senate or the Chamber of Representatives. So it's going to be very difficult for Petro to govern. But I'm going to analyze here in this video why this is such an, an important and historic victory. I'm going to start, first of all, with Venezuela. The victory of Petro in the election is the end of Juan Guaido, this coup puppet who never received a single vote in a presidential election, Juan Guaido. Joining us in the gallery is the true and legitimate president of Venezuela, Juan Guaido. <laughs> Mr. President, please take this message back to your family. The 
the U.S. still recognizes him as fake president of Venezuela. In fact, Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, the head of the U.S. State Department, this June, he released a ridiculous statement referring to Guaido as so-called interim president of Venezuela. That's laughable. Less than 15 countries in the world still recognize Guaido as imaginary president of Venezuela. The U.S. and Canada and Colombia are some of the very few. And now Petro is going to be president, and he's made it clear that he's going to normalize relations with Venezuela. That said, we should not pretend like Petro is some great friend of Venezuela. During his presidential campaign, he made a lot of ridiculous comments saying demonstrably false things attacking Venezuela, also attacking Nicaragua and Cuba. So in the context of Colombia, you can't expect anyone who says a kind word about Venezuela to ever come anywhere close to power. Petro is a politician. He understands how the game is played. So he criticized Venezuela a lot. He is not going to be an ally of Venezuela. He's certainly not the Colombian Hugo Chavez. But that said, between him and the current president, Ivan Duque, who is a far-right oligarch who was handpicked by the former far-right leader, Alvaro Uribe, who has dominated politics for decades, compared to him, Petro is going to be a very drastic change and he has made it clear that he's going to recognize the constitutional president of Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro. So that is going to be a significant change. The current far-right regime in Colombia has carried out numerous cross-border attacks, terrorist attacks on Venezuela, including in 2020, the infamous invasion, the botched invasion of Venezuela, which is called Operation Gideon. That was backed by the U.S., including a former U.S. Uh, Green Beret, U.S. Army Special Operations officer named Jordan Goudreau, and he had the support of Donald Trump and the Trump administration when he carried out this failed invasion of Venezuela. Well, he did so from Colombian territory, and he trained these Venezuelan terrorists who and Colombian terrorists who invaded Venezuela. He trained them in Colombian territory in the northern part of Colombia. So the fact is, Colombia has carried out numerous terrorist attacks and sponsored terrorist attacks on Venezuela. So that means that that policy is going to end, at the very least. Petro is not going to be a friend of Venezuela, but he's going to normalize relations and he's not going to attack Venezuela. This is also important because there are millions of Colombian refugees in Venezuela who have been there for many years. They're almost never talked about. And then there are now potentially hundreds of thousands or more, we don't know the exact number, of Venezuelans who have migrated to Colombia largely because of the economic crisis caused by the illegal, murderous U.S. sanctions and blockade illegally imposed on Venezuela. So normalizing relations is going to help the Colombian refugees in Venezuela and the Venezuelans in Colombia. And it's going to help also both economies, because they're going to be able to do trade with each other. Venezuela's economy has suffered because of Colombia's blockade, backing the U.S. blockade, and Colombia's economy has suffered as well. So that is, a, that is an important shift that we're going to see. Now, there's also the issue of peace. Colombia has had violence inside for many, many decades. And the U.S. government spent billions of dollars through Plan Colombia, Plan Colombia, which was this neoliberal program in which the U.S. spent billions of dollars 
on corporations claiming they were going to create jobs. All it did was actually displace campesinos, peasants, and working class people. And also the U.S. spent billions of dollars funding the Colombian military, which is closely linked to paramilitary groups and death squads that have been attacking and murdering working class Colombians and especially campesinos, peasants, for many decades. Colombia never really had significant land reform at the level of other countries. After the Spanish colonialists were expelled, the land was still held in the hands of these oligarchs, and they never really had a process of land reform because Colombia has never had a left-wing government. So that means that a lot of peasants in the country live in feudal conditions. They are treated like slaves or feudal serfs, and Petro has promised land reform. That is going to be extremely difficult in Colombia because the land is dominated by these oligarchs and these corporations, multinational corporations, not only Colombian corporations, but U.S. corporations that exploit that land. And they have been involved in supporting these death squads and paramilitaries who have killed peasants and killed social organizers and killed a lot of labor organizers, union leaders. So it's going to be very difficult for Petro to accomplish that. I should also stay here. It's very important that the vice president, Petro's running mate, is herself from the social movements in the countryside. Her name is Francia Marquez. She is a member of the Afro-Colombian community. So this election on June 19th is also very historic because not only did a left-wing president win for the first time, but also for the first time in Colombia's history, it's going to have a vice president from the Afro-Colombian community who has been historically completely repressed and marginalized by the Colombian state and the Colombian oligarchy. Francia Marquez is actually in some ways even more left-wing than Petro, who's kind of center-left. Francia Marquez has called for ending the drug war, which is very historic and important, given the role of the U.S. in supporting this disastrous drug war in Colombia that has killed thousands and thousands of people. She has called for land reform. She's called for reparations for indigenous nations in Colombia and for the Afro-Colombian community. So she is going to be a very significant influence. She represents the voice of the social movements in Colombia that have not only been marginalized, they've been killed and violently repressed for many decades. So that's going to be a historic shift. Although, like I said, both President Petro and Vice President Marquez are really going to be in danger. And during the campaign, we saw that anytime they spoke at a rally, they only spoke at a rally when they had a security team with guys holding big shields, bulletproof shields and big bulletproof vests because they knew that it was so dangerous for Petro and Marquez, they could have been killed at any moment. And now the threats against them are definitely going to multiply. So another very important factor in the promise that Petro has made is that he's going to invest in education and healthcare. Colombia being the Israel of Latin America, as Hugo Chavez famously said, it is basically a semi-colony of the U.S. It does not really have sovereignty, and the U.S. has imposed all of these neoliberal economic policies. So that means that education is privatized, healthcare is privatized, and Petro has promised to create socialized healthcare and education, investing in those to help the people. This is also important because 
A year ago, there were massive protests. There was a historic uprising in Colombia against the brutal neoliberal policies and austerity policies that have been imposed on the people for many years that have led to extreme poverty. Around half of the population lives in poverty, more than half of the population, actually. But I mean, this is a huge problem in the country. Meanwhile, there are these multimillionaire oligarchs like the far-right candidate in the election, Rodolfo Fernandez, who has an estimated wealth of $100 million in real estate, extremely a corrupt industry, obviously, an extremely corrupt industry. Meanwhile, over half of the population lives in poverty. So that is going to be a significant change. But finally, I'm going to end this analysis talking about how we shouldn't be too optimistic because, as I said, there are a lot of obstacles and really everything is rigged against Petro. Colombia is not a democracy. It is a narco regime. And the past governments for decades have been closely linked to drug cartels and death squads. I mentioned the name of the most powerful person in Colombian politics. His name is Alvaro Uribe Vélez. And Uribe ushered in a right-wing movement that's known as Uribismo that has dominated Colombian politics and society as a whole for 20 years, for two decades now. Uribe was president in the Bush era in the United States, George W. Bush, and he was responsible for supporting a lot of death squads, paramilitary groups, drug cartels. His family is directly linked to a drug uh, drug cartel. He himself worked with the Medellin cartel for many years. And on his family ranch, actually, it is one of his, his family ranches. I mean, they're very rich. They have a lot of properties. But on, on one of their family ranches, uh, the New York Times admitted that a paramilitary group, a right-wing death squad in Colombia called the 12 Apostles, they had their base on the Uribe family ranch. So, for many decades, the drug cartels and paramilitary groups have been working hand in glove with the state. What that means is that the Colombian deep state, the military, the police, the intelligence agencies, they are thoroughly penetrated by the paramilitary groups and by drug cartels. So that means that they're going to be threatening Petro. And even if he tries to do something, they're going to be going up against him. It's going to be very difficult for Petro to govern. Then there is also the fact that I said earlier, this is extremely important. The top general in the military, Eduardo Zapatero, he threatened Petro on Twitter publicly. So if he's doing that publicly, imagine what the military leaders are doing privately. So is Petro going to be able to change the military leadership? That is going to be very hard, especially considering the fact that he is a former guerrilla. He fought in an armed socialist group. Now, he put down his arms decades ago and became more moderate. He's now really center-left. But the reality is that he does have that history and the Colombian military forces are going to be up against him. Furthermore, he does not have a majority in the Congress. This is another important detail. So the left-wing coalition that is behind Petro is called the Pacto Histórico, and that means the historic pact. And that name ended up being vindicated because it was very historic. It's a kind of broad coalition. There are socialists and even communist forces with the Communist Party behind them. But then there are also much more centrist forces and even some liberals who join the coalition. So it's a broad coalition 
there are left-wing forces, but they're not in charge of the coalition. And the reality is that once he gets into power, it's going to be hard holding that coalition together, which is exactly what happened in Argentina with Alberto Fernandez. He had a broad left-wing coalition, and then he, he really pushed out the left-wing forces, and he's been governing as a centrist ever since. And another interesting parallel is Peru. Of all the countries in Latin America, the country that's probably the most similar politically to Colombia is Peru. And Peru never really had a left-wing government either. And for the first time last year, uh, Pedro Castillo, a left-wing president, won in Peru and entered. And he has been able to kind of govern, but he's basically been a lame duck president. And he's not been able to accomplish the vast majority of what he wanted to do. Why is that? One, he does not have a majority in the Congress. Pedro Castillo's party was called Peru Libre, Free Peru. And he actually had a falling out with his own party. And they only are only a small minority in the Congress. The Congress is still dominated by right-wing and neoliberal parties. The same thing is true in Colombia, which means Petro is going to have a very hard time passing legislation. Furthermore, in Peru, we also have seen the military forces, which really dominate Peruvian politics. Like Colombia, the Peruvian deep state is closely linked to, the, to drug trafficking. Uh, Peru had a fascist dictator backed by the U.S. who really just eradicated the left. And now we see that, you know, uh, the, the, his name was Fujimori, the former fascist dictator, that the Fujimori loyal forces in the military have been preventing Castillo from accomplishing a lot of the things that he wanted to do. In fact, a few weeks after he entered office, Pedro Castillo's foreign minister, who is a socialist and an anti-imperialist named Hector Bejar, he was forced to resign by the military. And Bejar said this is the beginning of a coup, the beginning of a soft coup, he said, golpe suave or golpe blando. So, is the military in Colombia going to do something very similar? I think it's very likely. If Petro appoints a leftist, a socialist, even an anti-imperialist, which I don't expect, my hopes are not that high, believe me. Petro, he ran a very center-left campaign. But if he does put some left-wing ministers in his cabinet, is the military going to force him to change his cabinet? Is it going to force those people to resign as they did in Peru? We should keep in mind that Colombia is very much not a democracy like Peru. So those are things to think about when we reflect on this historic victory. Now, I'm not downplaying. I don't mean to downplay the importance of this. Like I said, Colombia has never had a left-wing government, so it has to start somewhere, right? And the vice president, Francia Marquez, in fact, she inspires more confidence in me than Petro. Petro is very much a politician. He knows how the game is played. I should mention that he previously served as the mayor of the capital, Bogotá, the capital of Colombia, whereas uh, Francia Marquez, she's not a politician. She, she is a social movement activist. She's from the grassroots. So the fact that she's vice president, that does inspire confidence, although I should say that in Argentina, Alberto Fernandez ran with his vice president, the left-wing former president, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, and she was basically pushed out. She was not really given much influence in the government. So we'll see if Petro is the same thing. It's hard to say what will happen. But those are the details I wanted to stress. So people can think about 
what this historic victory means for Colombia, for Latin America, and for the world. Now, I don't expect Colombia to become an anti-imperialist bastion like Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba, and Bolivia. I don't expect it to become allied with Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, and Bolivia. I don't expect Petro to form an alliance with China and Russia like Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, and Bolivia are doing. But the fact is that Colombia has been a far-right virtual U.S. colony for decades now. And most important of all, it has been wrecked by violence. And Petro has called for peace. He says he wants to end the violence of the paramilitaries. In 2016, Colombia's former president, Santos, he did sign a historic peace agreement with the FARC, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. That was an armed socialist movement. And most of them, the vast majority of the FARC militants, they put down their weapons. They became a legal political party. And the government said that it would stop killing them. But what has happened since 2016? Hundreds of, of the former guerrillas, the former revolutionary armed militants who signed the, the, the peace agreement, they've been killed. Hundreds of them have been killed. So the current far-right government of Ivan Duque has refused to abide by that historic peace agreement, violating its own law. So Petro is going to abide by that, of course, but the security services, the deep state, and the paramilitary groups are probably not going to go along with it. So those are all just things to think about. I mean, I'm kind of ranting here, so I'm going to end this video because there's, there's even more I could say, but I just wanted to give an overview of this historic victory. I wanted to complicate the analysis so people aren't too optimistic, but they're realistic and they understand the historical nature of this victory. And I will be, of course, returning in the future here at Multipolarista. I'm going to be doing a lot more coverage of this, especially when Petro comes into office, and we'll see how things go. So with that said, I'm Ben Norton. This is Multipolarista. You can find more reporting at multipolarista.com. And of course, if you want to support the reporting I do here, please consider going to patreon.com slash multipolarista. You can support my journalism. You'll also get podca regular podcasts once or twice a week, and you'll get some exclusive content over there as well. So go to patreon.com slash multipolarista and definitely check back in the future. I'll be doing a lot of coverage and analysis. See you next time.